0: We're in a series on mission, and, and it's important at least uh, annually, you know, re- really you want to have your mission out in front of you. You, you want to be thinking about where am I going, what is the purpose that I'm laboring toward. And so I wanted to take the last week, this week, and next week to talk about the mission of Grace Covenant Church. And as we say it every week, Grace Covenant Church exists to help people encounter Christ, experience Christ. Biblical community, and ultimately extend the kingdom of God. Last week we talked about what it what what it looks like to encounter Christ, how to engage Him, how to how to be connected to Him. And today we're going to be talking about what it looks like to experience real community. Now, <clears throat> I, I I want to step back and, and have us think about the question why why community. You know, I think that that. Within the Christian world, and maybe you've even had this experience where your understanding of salvation and a relationship with God is, I I am a sinner. I've I've broken God's rules. I've broken His laws. Therefore, there's a debt that's that's owed that that I have to pay. I can't pay that debt, or I mean, I, I could pay that debt. It's it's a very bad thing, um, and so I'm in this position where I need a savior. And Jesus comes, he lives a perfect life that I should have lived, he dies the death I deserve, and he rose again, defeating Satan, sin, and death, and offering eternal life to who? To anyone who would put their faith in him. Anyone who would trust Jesus and his life and his righteousness, and not trust their own ability to somehow bridge the gap, right? And, and we would say, that is Christianity, period, And I would say that that is an anemic view of Christianity. And so today, I want us to be thinking about this question. I want you to keep it in the forefront of your mind why it's important that we experience and pursue community. And I'm going to define that term because it's it's a fuzzy term. It can mean a lot of different things in different places. But why is it important for us to experience biblical community? So we're going to be reading out of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. I'm going to invite everyone who's here to stand up if you're able. And we're going to read the word of God together out loud. As a side note, take note of this experience right here because this is instructive for why community matters. So we're going to read out of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that right now as we stand, as we we watch online in the midst of other believers, Lord, that you would impress upon us the reality of your unique power and presence experienced in the context of community. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would you would break down the walls of, of individualism, of, of this kind of attitude of, of self-only. Give us a, a healthy respect for our need for others. And God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see how wonderful it is when we are unified with one another how good it is for us to be with one another. God, I pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys can be seated. Amen. I heard that back there. That's good. You can respond, by the way. The kids know that. But if you want to, you can say amen. That's that's good. There we go. I like that. So today, as we're looking at this text, I want us to think about two incredible truths that, that this text gives us, two incredible truths that he gives us, and then uh, three kind of implications or three ways we ought to respond as a result, right? So he, he gives two truths that really, they, they serve as the ground, uh, the, the, the foundation on which these three commands that he gives should stand, you know when you have when you have commands, and I love this about the Bible. When you look at the Bible, as a side note, um, there are things called the, the the indicatives, and those are the things which are just kind of statements of fact. If you study language, the indicative mood is the one that kind of it, it asserts facts, right? That's that's every, this is a uh, this is a podium, right? That is a an indicative statement. Now, if I said podium move, that would be a command, a ridiculous command, but a command nonetheless. When we when we look at scripture. Almost always what you see is that God founds his imperative commands on gospel indicatives. I'll say that again. He, he founds his imperative commands, live this way, do this, don't do that, on his, his gospel, God-given, God-empowered indicatives. It goes all the way to the beginning. Even with Adam and Eve, God gave commands, but his commands... Uh, had behind them the assumption of relationship, the the assumption of of God's favor and his his care. You know, sometimes we think about, well, what about the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments, you know, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. Well, the Ten Commandments, what do they begin with? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the, the land of Egypt. That's the indicative. Guys, I'm your God. I have brought you out of Egypt. I'm your savior. I've done all these things for you. Is that not the gospel? And in light of that gospel, this is how we are to respond. So here we have two incredible gospel-centered truths, and then three imperatives, how we ought to respond. So let's look at these truths. He says in verse 19, therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, dot, dot, dot. Now, there is a lot of stuff packed into that. And if you were to just never have read the Bible, maybe never had gone to church, maybe, maybe you're here and that you're kind of in that situation, you might say to yourself, what on earth is he even talking about? And that would be fair. The, the writer of Hebrews is, is going through the, the whole book to show how God had spoken and interacted with with humanity in a number of different ways, and then Jesus came. And this is why Jesus is better. This is why he's better than angels. This is why he's better than sacrificial systems. This is why he's better than high priests. This is why he's better than anything you can think of, guys. And so he had been spending the last 10 chapters talking about how God had worked through the people of God, And how he had he had interacted with the people of God through things like sacrifices, so you had in the Old Testament the people of God, Israel. The only way that that you could really come into the presence of God was through a uh, uh, mediatorial system, right? A mediator, and that system of mediation was the priests. There was a place on earth where God's presence was was uh, you could say manifest, or where you could see it, and that was the tabernacle, this big tent. And in this big tent which God gave Moses directions to build, there were different sections. There was a, a place, kind of a, a general area of, of sacrifice where the, the priest would serve. And there was what was called the, the, um, the, the Holy of Holies, the, mo- the most sacrificial area, the most, sorry, holy area. And in that area, the high priest, right, the priest of priests, one high priest would go in once a year, Now, he had to do a number of different things in order to be able to go into that area and not be struck dead by the holiness of God. He had to sacrifice for himself. He had to make a a sacrifice, right? He was a sinner, and so he had to make sacrifices, which which spoke to, and, and as the writer of Hebrews said, really kind of alluded to the fact that God was gonna save through a greater sacrifice, and he'd have to cleanse himself. Then he'd have to make sacrifice for the people of God, And he would step into this holy of holies. Now, there was a a, a curtain that separated those two areas. And that curtain was a representative of the fact that you could go no further. We, ourselves, you and I, we are not holy. We are not able to enter into the presence of God. If we were to do so, we would be struck dead because we are not holy and he is. And when he, he is in the presence, or when we are in the presence of God's holiness, Unmediated, it brings judgment. Let me say that again. When you and I, we live in a world of casual, easygoing life. God is not a casual, easygoing God. And if if we were faced with God right now, apart from the mediating work of Jesus Christ, we would be judged in a moment. And so... There were so many things that the high priest had to do in order to enter that place and come into the presence of God. And that curtain separated and really protected everyone else from God's holy, righteous presence. And so we see here that things have changed. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by what? By the blood of Jesus. Now, in the Old Testament, they would make a sacrifice, a bull or a goat, and they would actually sprinkle blood on the various things that needed to be consecrated, needed to be set aside. Kind of a grisly thing. You know, it was a little rough. They would take blood and, and sprinkle it on the altar. They'd take blood and, and sprinkle it on the high priest. Right? <laughs> this is not for the, uh, for the weak stomach. This is, this is intense. This wasn't just like red paint. No, this was the body fluids of a, an animal. And it was intended to express the fact that our sin requires blood. And so here the writer of Hebrews says, we have confidence to enter the holy places by what? By our good works. No, Um, let me read that again. We have confidence to enter the holy places because we're not that bad. We have confidence to enter the holy places because have you met Bill? I'm way better than Bill. He works in accounting. He's a jerk. I don't know an actual bill who works in accounting. If there is one, I apologize. No, it says we have confidence to enter by the blood of Jesus. And I, I want you to take a moment and disconnect. If you're, if you're a religious person, if you grew up in church, disconnect from your, you know, your grandma saying, oh, the blood of the lamb. And, and kind of just it becomes this like phraseology. No, Jesus' blood, his red blood from his arteries, from his veins, flowed. It dripped on the ground. It dripped down his, his head, maybe it got into his eyes. It dripped from his back where he had been beaten, on his side when he was pierced after he died. Just blood everywhere. This is, not, this is not a glamorous thing. But it's through that blood that we're able to, what, enter into the presence of Of God, he goes on in verse twenty and says, "By the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain." And then he gets even more grisly. That is, through his flesh. It's it's through Jesus, his his body being broken. Right, The, the 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 epidermis and the dermis and the muscle. Right, his his hands and his feet. Right. Iron piercing through skin, breaking nerve endings, exploding bla- veins, tearing, tearing flesh, tearing muscle. By the new and living way, he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. It is incredible that we can enter into the presence of God. When you consider when you consider the cost, when you there was no other way. If there was another way, God would have done it. You know, many of you are parents in this room. What would it take for you to be willing to sacrifice your child for another unrelated child? It's not it's not fathomable. It's not something we 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 would entertain. This is is an incredible thing. Incredible in the sense of it's unbelievable that we could enter into the presence of God. Unbelievable. And if that doesn't strike you as incredible, you underestimate the cost of your sin. And I'm I'm with you. It's incredible. He goes on in verse 21 and he says, And since we have a high priest over the house of God, so this God, this Jesus whom... We sent to to sacrifice, we sent to to execution, we sent to die a grisly death. Now what does he do? He stands and he mediates on our behalf. That's incredible. How many people do you not talk to because they said something mean about you on Facebook? (laughs) How many people, who's on the list? And you know you got one because the name just came up. And I'm not saying that as a point of uh, uh, condemnation. I'm just saying, how incredible is it that that a perfectly good, righteous man, let alone God, would look at you and me and say, you know what, I'm going to stand in the gap on behalf of that person. And he knows. Jesus is not, he's not naive. You might be able to fool me. You might be able to fool Pastor Germain. You might be able to fool your your friends. But God knows your business. He knows. He's not surprised. He's not caught off guard. And this Jesus who who our sins sent to execution, he stands and he mediates on our behalf. Like the high priest who would go into the the, the Holy of Holies, he'd, he'd split the curtains, step in, make make an interaction with God. He would kind of stand in this, in this intersection between heaven and earth. Jesus now stands as, as our representative in heaven. The writer of uh, Ephesians talks about how we have received everything in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What he's saying there is, is we are somehow, in some way, when we put our trust in Jesus, we are, we are united with Christ it's called union with Christ. It's this amazing doctrine of God's uh, kind of tying us to our Savior, sewing our realities together. And because of that, we are, are present with God through Jesus Christ. We are in the Holy of Holies. This, this place, this tent that we're talking about, it wasn't, it wasn't like God looked at that and said, you know what, that's a good idea. I'm gonna make an example of that in heaven. No, it was the other way around. This was supposed to be a picture of God's presence and how he exists in heaven. We have a high priest, a mediator, who ensures that we can have unfettered access to God. It's, it's incredible. You, if You, if you trust in Jesus, if you... If Jesus is your savior, you have unfettered access to God. You don't have to, you know, <laughs> you ever seen kids when they do something wrong and you know, and they know? There's this kind of like dance that you guys do where you're like, hey, buddy, how's it going? And they're like, <laughs> you know, well, what's, what's that on the floor? I don't know. Well, it looks like a vase that's broken. Oh, Yeah you you're both like okay, who's gonna who's gonna break first you know um, I have no idea where I started talking about that amen um but we have we have access to the presence of God, and we don't i do now know we don't have to we don't have to hide behind the corner we don't have to timidly like present our requests, like, here are my requests, God. No, we can come boldly and say, God, here are some things that I need to talk to you about. And he and he loves us. He's not like, okay, fine, one more time. What is it? Okay, fine. No, he's, he, tell me, I've got time. I want to hear you. We have unfettered access to God because of Jesus Christ. And in light of this, he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter. Since we have a great high priest, it says great priest, but it's the great high priest that he's talking about. He says in verse 22, let us draw near, and he gives us three commands, three let us commands, three ways we ought to respond. The first one, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. One way that we ought to respond is in worship. Worship. I love the song, you know, I'm coming back to a heart of worship, and it's all about me. No, it's all about God. When we come into the, the reality that God has done so much for us, that he has sacrificed so much for us, that he has offered so much to us, it, it ought to create this, this, this experience and attitude of worship. And when it doesn't, usually it's because we, we underestimate our sin, or we overestimate our other circumstances. You know, we, we underestimate our sin and you say, Well, oh thanks, God. That's you know, I appreciate you spotting me a five. That's that's not what happened. Our debt was infinite and God paid it. Or or sometimes we, we understand that, but there's there's so much in our life that's overwhelming that we begin to think that our problems, our circumstances, our issues are are greater than our God. And we begin to bow to our circumstances rather than the God of our circumstances. But when we, when we can recognize these radical, incredible realities that we can enter into the presence of a holy and perfect and powerful God who created heaven and earth, over whom he, he has authority over uh, rulers and, and dominions and powers who has defeated Satan, sin, and death, who has called into reality all of creation and who ultimately will be the winner in the end when we can say, I can come into his presence and when we can say, not only can I enter into his presence, I can do so without fear, without shame, without guilt, knowing that there's someone who's standing in the gap for me, who's representing me, who's making sure that my prayers are being heard, then worship comes about. God, you are awesome. You are holy, but you are also good. You were amazing. There's a, there's a line in this. So this is a, it's a book called Valley Vision. It's a, it's a collection of, of Puritan prayers. Puritans, they were not perfect people, but they were passionate about God. And uh, one of the things it talks about is, is this idea of the greatness of God and the goodness of God. Give me knowledge of your goodness that I might not be overawed by your greatness. That's, that's what's happening right here is we ought to be awed by God's greatness, his power, his strength. But his greatness alone is a little terrifying if we're honest. But he says, no, let me have a vision and a knowledge of your goodness as well. Because his goodness and his, grace, his greatness brought together is, is, is means and, and cause for worship. Because of Christ's sacrifice and service as high Priest, our hearts are free from the weight of guilt and are confident in salvation, which does not depend on us, but on Christ. He says, Let us draw near. What? With a with a true heart, full of assurance of faith. I, I can step forward and I can trust God because of my my faith in God. And I can I can step forward sprinkled clean from an e- evil conscience. There's nothing that condemns those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul says. Nothing can condemn those who are in Christ Jesus. It is God who justifies. Right? So we can we can step forward with confidence. We can step forward with assurance, and he says, and our body is washed with pure water. That's, that's likely a, 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 an allusion to baptism, but the idea is, is we are purified and consecrated or set aside for God. Since God has given us these amazing truths, we ought to worship. We ought to worship. And I would encourage you that if you struggle with, with the idea of worship, don't try to worship harder. Try to see God more clearly. We can come into the presence of God. How do we come into the presence of God? We come into the presence of God through prayer, through talking to God. You don't, we, we don't look for someone else to mediate on our behalf. You know, it's, it's great to have people pray for us. I'm in a small group and, and we share prayer requests and, and we get to carry one another's burdens, but ultimately we can go to God. We go to God with prayer. We can listen to God by getting in our Bible every day Oh, I was so weak. <laughs> we, can get into the, we can listen to God by getting into the Bible every. Okay, close. There we go. I can hear you. I can hear you. Thank you. We get into, we, we hear from God through his word. And, and, and certainly we hear from God through his Holy Spirit who lives in us now. But if, if we don't have the respect and honor of his word, I, I don't know how much you should expect to hear from God apart from his word. Ultimately, worship is our appropriate response when we come into the presence of his greatness. Have you ever met a celebrity and you just have this like, ah, response? Yeah. There, there's a response that kind of comes naturally when you realize, and, and this is not, just go with me. But when they're, they're here and you're here and you're like, oh, you're so awesome. You know, for me, I am a nerd. And so, it's not so much about, uh, I'll say what it is about. Uh, I have a, there's a guy named Orson Scott Card. He wrote a book called Ender's Game. It's a, it's a book. I don't know. It, it, it was influential to me as a kid. Um, and I met him. So he's in North Carolina, Greensboro, North Carolina. I went there, never saw him. My, my friend was the owner of the restaurant, or his parents were the owner of the restaurant that he went to all the time. Never saw him. My favorite author of all time, never saw him. I come up here, Northern Virginia, go to Wegmans in Sterling, and there is Orson Scott Card. What's going on? He's eating a sub. And he offers me his sub. And I was speechless. It's a weird story. It was weird to me. It's weird to you. It was weird. Yeah, I was speechless. Afterwards, I I was like, I should have sold. Could I eBay that? Is that a... Do I eat it? Do I gain his powers by eating his sub? <laughs> Do I become the next great science fiction writer? I said no. I said no. Thank you. I I just panicked. There, and it was it was there was a, just a kind of gut response to what I consider to be greatness. When we come into the the greatness of God, there there ought to be a gut response of like worship, not of like worship of worship. And if there isn't that response, it's an indication of what we see about Jesus. And I don't say that as a point of condemnation, but it's a point of, of saying, how do you see Jesus? So we, the three ways we were ought to respond, and we still have the question over our head, why community? I'm going to get there, I promise. The, the second let us, it says this, not let us, the food, let us, the command. And let us... Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Pastor Germain, you know, I think in line with the Holy Spirit, started talking about Colossians, where it says something very similar. Let us hold on to this confession of hope. Let us hold on to this confession of hope. And and the writer of Hebrews says that because there are some who are not holding on to the confession of hope. And there are moments in your life where you feel you will struggle to hold on to the confession of hope in God. You will look at your circumstances, you will look at your friends or your relationships, and you will say, I don't have hope. And he says, no, 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 no. You can enter into the presence of God. No, no, no. You have a great high priest. You have hope. Some of you, you know, when you watch a movie and... and you, you've got you know, character. You, basically, it's it's character um, development, character development, conflict, mini resolution, big conflict. Oh my goodness, we thought everything was going to be fine and the movie was going to end here. But big conflict, and then real resolution. Some of you, some of you are in the, in the big conflict section, and and you were like, I thought the conflict was over. I we went through the conflict, and then the credits were supposed to roll. Right? We, and they're not rolling, and things have gotten worse. And in this moment, like every movie goer, you're thinking to yourself, there is no hope. But there is. Because we know the end. We may not know the specifics, but we know the end. There's hope. There's hope, family. There's a spirit of depression and anxiety that says there's no hope. But there's hope, family. Why is there hope? It's not because your life is awesome. Your life may be in shambles. It may be terrible. You may be a parent and you're just kind of banging your head against the wall, your kid's banging his or her head against the wall and you guys are at odds and you're like, there's no hope, there is hope. You may be in a situation where where there's a health issue and you're, you're saying, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. I've gone to see doctor after doctor after doctor. There's no hope. And I would say to you, that's a lie. Now, you don't know the full end. You don't know how how things will level out. But there is always hope if you trust in Jesus Christ. There's always hope. The way that one, one pastor I heard say it was, if you are a... I'll put it positively. If you are a Christian, this is the closest you will ever get to hell. <laughs> it's supposed to be encouraging. <laughs> For some of you, or you're like, yeah, I'm there. I know. And my point is, on this side of eternity, it's, it's not going to get much worse. And it will get much better. And, and if that sounds like a pad, pat response it's because we don't value eternity. And, and I, the writer of Hebrews, and, and we see in verse 25, he says, do all the th- these things and all the more as you see what the capital D day drawing near. Live in light of the fact that 80 years, 90 years, 100 years is the blink of an eye in, in comparison to eternity. Right, Paul talks about this momentary trial that's preparing us for the weight of glory. And when he talks about momentary trial, he doesn't mean, well, you know, that time you stubbed your toe. No, he's talking about like our lifetime. This momentary trial in light of eternity it's going to be nothing. And the saints of, of, of the past, they were able to look at martyrdom, of imprisonment, even of the present. You know, the, the, the church in China. There are pastors that I know of. Who who have been told you can't meet, or if you do meet, you, you can't reach out to other people. And and basically you, you can't you can't evangelize, you can't be a church. And and they're looking at that there and saying, I'm gonna think in the light of eternity. Don't fear the person who can take your life, but fear him who can take your life and your soul. We pursue a gospel-centered hope. Family, there is Hope. If you're in this room and you feel hopeless, there is hope. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Hope in God. For then I will rejoice. Hope in God. What is your life centered on? Perhaps you struggle with hope because your life is centered on something completely different. Maybe it's centered on having the perfect marriage. Maybe it's centered on having the perfect kids. Maybe it's centered on having the perfect um, uh, career. What, what is your life centered on? And then he gets to this weird one. And he says, and let us consider also, you know, let's draw near, let's worship God, let's hope in God, and let's consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. What? Why does he bring that up? Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Why does he start talking about stirring one another up into love and good deeds? It's the first two, they make sense, right? Trust in Jesus, get saved, pray, read your Bible, do those Christian things. Why does he say, don't forget to meet together, guys. Don't forget to get together. Don't forget the potlucks. Make sure you connect with one another. You're praying for one another, encouraging one another. Why does he say that? Um, first of all, let's talk about what he means. He says... Uh, What does he mean when he's talking about stirring one another up? He says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, comma. And then he explains it. He says, negatively, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. You kind of have, you know, his eyes raise and he starts looking at Bill over there like, you know who you are. He says, not that, but instead encouraging one another all the more as you see the day. So if it's not this but that, then they're kind of opposites. So if the not, are you guys catching? Are you following the logic? If the not is meeting together, if we're not not meeting together, if, we, if, if, if he's saying don't neglect to meet together, then the opposite should mean that you meet together. And he says this, he doesn't spe- specifically say that, but he says, but encouraging one another. How? In the presence of one another. Meeting together. You know how you, you don't neglect meeting together? By meeting together. You guys, are, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir to some degree, and if you're online, you're, you're kind of here. That's cool. But he's calling us into greater and greater degrees of engagement with the people of God. Because he doesn't just say, attend and sit beside someone. Right? Let us not neglect... Sitting in the presence of other people silently. No, he says, let us not neglect meeting together, but encouraging one another. Stirring one another up to love and good works. Encouraging one another as we meet with one another. Regularly, living in light of Christ's ultimate return. Some days you're going you're gonna to be feeling great. You read your Bible, you prayed, you're feeling the hope of God, you're, you've encountered Christ, and you need to get in the presence of other people so that you can encourage them. Yeah. And some of you, you wake up and you're like, everything is terrible. You know, it's kind of this Eeyore syndrome, like, I guess it's another day. I don't know where my tail is. I'm a human, so I don't have a tail. I wish I had a tail. Maybe you don't do that. But but you have these moments where you can't get out of you feel like you can't get out of bed and it's precisely in those moments that you need to get yourself out of bed and go to church you need to get yourself out of bed and go to small group meeting together on sundays meeting together in small groups and he is speaking in terms of a christian community this is not every, let, let's go to top golf with some guy like that's fine he's not saying don't go to top golf but he's saying there's a specific intentionality to these intentionality to these relationships, that I am seeking to be an encouragement. I'm thinking to myself, how can what can I say, what can I do, how can I be generous, how can I be sacrificial in such a way that it can encourage these people? How can I uh, go to church and find encouragement from these people? Who do I need to, to pursue and ask for prayer? Who do I I need to find and say, "I, I read this devotion and I thought of you? This is why church, for one thing, it has to be something that we do, and two, it can't be a spectator sport. So, that's what he means when he says, love and good works, I'm almost done, but Why does he pursue it here? Why is he talking about that here? That's great. It sounds good. It sounds biblical. We could point to other parts of the Bible that that talk about this. But why did he mention it here? In verse 21, it says since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Right? The house of God was the place of God's presence. Are you guys tracking with me? It's speaking of the Tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place where God's presence came down. The, uh, the Israelites were in the wilderness. And, and this, this pillar of, of, of light and fire would lead them. And then it, sometimes it would stop. And they, they'd pitch the, the tent, the tabernacle. And, and God's presence would fall. And then when, when God's presence went up, they'd keep moving. It was the place of God's presence. The house of God is the place of God's presence. I think I've said that enough. But if we were to go and step back and read this book contextually, we could go to chapter three and verse six, and I want you to listen to what he says. I'll start in verse five. Now, Moses was faithful in God, all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later. So Moses was a servant to God. He did good things. um, The writer's arguing that Jesus is better. Verse six, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are. Are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope, you collectively are his house. You are his house. Now listen to what he says. Since we have a great high priest over the people of God, his house. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. You can go into the presence of God, but what is the primary way that you get into the presence of God? By getting around the people of God. It's not by going to your closet and reading your, you know, your Bible. That is important. That's good. But, but when the Bible pictures his presence, he pictures it largely in the context of other believers, This is not about do this and do this and do this also. You know, worship God, uh, also trust in God, and then also go to church. No, he says do all these things in the context of church. Are, Are you hearing what I'm saying? Your faith and your life and the opportunity for you to get into the presence of God is to some degree dependent upon your attendance at church. Like he is saying that you have to go to church if you want to grow close to God. You, 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 you have to go to small group if you want to grow close to God. Now maybe it's not specifically lined out, but he is talking about a local expression. This is not just like, I'm present in an ethereal sort of sense. No, The people of God in, in, in the Old Testament were the collected people of Israel. And here he says, we are the people of God, and that we is is often we in the context of our church gathering. And here he says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works as we are in the presence of God with one another. What does that mean? That means that you can experience God as you talk to your neighbor today. It doesn't have to be this mystical thing where God's presence falls and sort of like you feel tingly and, and you have this personal, individualistic moment. Now, that, God does do that. I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't do that. But I'm saying if, if your idea of experiencing God and walking with him is, is, is just that, you're going to miss out. Since we have access to God's presence and we have a mediator that, that ensures that access, access, we ought to eagerly pursue the kingdom of a God, or sorry, the community of God, to encourage and to be encouraged, to experience the presence of God through the people of God, to incite one another to greater expressions of sacrificial love and deeds that evidence the power and the presence of God. Since we have access, the, the indicatives, since we have access to the presence of God and since we have a mediator who ensures that access, we ought to eagerly pursue the kingdom of God to encourage to be encouraged, to be in the presence of God through the people of God, to incite one another to greater expressions of sacrificial love and deeds that ultimately evidence the power and presence of God. Next week, I'm going to preach out of Acts, and you're going to see that when God's people get together and God's power gets together, it, it, it's like dynamite. The world sees something unique, and it doesn't happen Unless, well, God doesn't normally do it unless it's in the context of church community. This is a good thing that you're doing today. Some of you, you need to get in a small group. We we have small groups that meet throughout the week and we don't just do it because that's what churches do. (laughs) There's a lot of things that churches do that we don't do. We do Small groups, because we understand that we want to get into the presence of God in the context of the people of God. Family, you need to get in the presence. There are so many things that I've been encouraged by. I wish I could go into it, but, you know, we've been leading a small group on Thursdays at 7, and we've been able to pray with people. We've been able to see miracles happen. We've been able to experience miracles. Because God likes to move in the context of community. I love seeing my college people here. God does amazing things through community, through the people that are there. I, I love seeing you all here. I know that, that, that it has taken some of you a lot to get here. If you have children, it has taken a, a lot for you to get here. There, there are people who have been here since 7 o'clock. It's taken a lot for them to be here to make this happen. Right? We don't have set up and tear down fairies. I wish we did. Bring. We have men who move stuff. If you want to be a man who moves stuff, talk to Will in the back. And women. And women. Yes. I'm just saying the men need to stand about, step up. The women, absolutely. But it sometimes is indicative of the lack of men. Um, we, we need you. This church is better when you're here. Not because you're awesome, not because I'm awesome, but because God moves awesomely through his people. So why why do we want to experience community? We want to experience community because we want to encounter God in the context of God's people. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the fact that you take You take different people from different walks of life and different situations and you you knit us together as a people. You accomplish your purposes through normal, everyday people. God, I pray that you would would give us vision, that you would give us vision to see the benefits of being in community, God, and that we would be committed to it Jesus, I pray that as, as we commit ourselves to this, that you would make yourself all the more present, that we would see signs and wonders, that we would see people come to salvation, that we would be impressed to, to sacrifice and to be generous, and that as we'll see next week, that we would be a, a force of, of expanding your kingdom by your power. Jesus, we want to worship you. Lord, we want to worship you together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Love you, family.